Welcome to the radio broadcast of Pineview Baptist Church, a growing community of faith in the Belfast community of Goldsboro. We are located at 3357 U.S. Highway 117 North in Goldsboro. We invite you to find out more about our congregation by visiting us at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. Join us now for our weekly message. Two Sundays ago, we began a new sermon series entitled, God Saves Sinners. And normally we're preaching through a book of the Bible in a verse-by-verse format, but right now we're dealing with some topical things. Speaking about the work of redemption, how does God save sinners? And today, as we come to study God's Word, we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. The title of the sermon is, Good Grief. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we're going to read from, beginning in verse 8, and we're going to read down together through verse 13. And as is my normal custom, I am preaching today from the English Standard Version of Scripture. If you don't have a copy of that, there are some copies in the pew that you're free to follow along with. And as I do from time to time while you're turning there, I just want to encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. We discussed that yesterday in our men's fellowship time as well. I love to hear those pages turning. Uh, I used to have a deacon that said, never trust a preacher. Bring your Bible and read it for yourself. Um, And you need to be able to do that to hold me accountable, to read God's Word for yourself. It centers you. It focuses you on God's Word. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. But... 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to begin in verse number 8. And God's Word says to us, the Apostle Paul writes, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment." At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So, although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted and will end there. May God add a blessing to the reading of His Word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we seek to study Your truths today, I pray that you will give us illumination, that you will open our eyes, Lord. Give us knowledge. Give us spiritual wisdom. Bring conviction, Lord, if there is one who does not know you and has never bowed the knee to Christ. And give us all a burden to proclaim the glorious gospel of our great God. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. Many of you know, I've mentioned it from time to time, that I love the funny papers. I always have. And 
we don't live in an area now where we can we can get the paper delivered, and so oftentimes on Sunday I don't, I don't get to look look through the funny papers. But if I happen to find myself sitting in an office somewhere, waiting in a waiting room, oftentimes they'll be sitting there, and I begin to look through them, and I've just always loved that. And one of my favorites is, of course, Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown is just a sort of a hero of mine, I guess you could say. You can learn a lot of things from Charlie Brown, what he does and what he doesn't do. Um, kind of reminds me of Andy Griffith a little bit. There's some, some great truths, some great wisdom that you can gain from something so simple. And Charlie Brown would always say something when he was bummed out. You see it there on the screen. He would say, good grief. Sometimes he would shout it. Sometimes he would just whisper it to himself. Sometimes some of the other peanut cast members would say it to him. Good grief, Charlie Brown. What did you do? And he would say it when he had made a mistake, when he had done something wrong, when he knew that he had messed up. Now, when we think of the word grief, we don't think of it as a good thing. Maybe it causes you to think of loss or death. Maybe financial loss or the loss of a job or career. It's a bad thing in our minds, grief. And today Paul is speaking about grief and he's using it to help us understand repentance. What is repentance? We firstly need to define our terms and know what we believe about it. Well, John MacArthur writes that repentance is no more a meritorious work than its counterpart faith. It is an inward response. Genuine repentance pleads with the Lord to forgive and deliver from the burden of sin and the fear of judgment and hell. It is the attitude of the publican who, fearful of even looking toward heaven, smote his breast and cried, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He says repentance is not merely behavior reform, but because true repentance involves a change of heart and purpose, it inevitably results in a change of behavior. Thomas Watson, the great Puritan writer, said that repentance is a grace of God's Spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and outwardly reformed. He goes on to describe in his book, The Doctrine of Repentance, that true repentance is comprised of six ingredients. The sight of sin, sorrow for sin, confession of sin, shame for sin, hatred for sin, and turning from sin. Let's examine that right there very quickly and see what that means for us. Firstly, he speaks of the sight of sin. Luke chapter 15 and verse 17 says that the prodigal came to himself. He saw his sin. He recognized his error. He knew what he had done wrong. And we need to recognize the same thing. We need to consider that aspect. In Psalm 38 and verse 18, the psalmist said, I am sorry for my sin. Sorrow, holy agony, a shedding of tears, grief, because we realize who we are. We realize our sinful nature. Confession of sin. Second Samuel 24 and 17, David said, Behold, I have sinned and I have done wickedly. He confessed it. 
Ezekiel 43 and 10, As for you, son of man, describe to the house of Israel the temple that they may be ashamed of their iniquities. Sin should cause a deep sense of shame in us. Like that pig that Pastor Tim gave us a wonderful illustration of last week. That pig who is feeding in a trough. He's eating slop. But God regenerates that that dirty animal. And in a moment, he realizes as he becomes a man, he realizes now what he's doing. He realizes and he's ashamed of it. And in that moment, God begins the process of regeneration. There's a sense of shame that he's eating from a slop bucket instead of eating at the table. In Ezekiel 36 and 31, it says that you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. We should hate our sin. We shouldn't be friends with it. Turning from sin, finally, Watson describes. Ephesians 5 and 8 illustrates that for us. It says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you were light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. There's a turning from our sin. A change in us wrought by the power of God. Last week we talked about that regeneration. And this could be described as part two of that topic because regeneration flows right in to repentance. In the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, Article 4 says, Regeneration or the new birth is a work of God's grace whereby believers become new creations, new creatures in Christ Jesus. It is a change of heart wrought by the Holy Spirit through conviction of sin to which the sinner responds in repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith are inseparable experiences of grace. You cannot divorce the two. And so now that we've defined our terms this morning, let us for a few moments examine what this passage that we have read speaks about repentance and grief because we see in our Scripture reading today that, that grief leads us to repentance. And so on the screen for you, I'll have my outline this morning if you're following along or taking notes. And firstly, we see the forms of grief. The forms of grief. Paul had written a previous letter, and he, he makes reference to it here in 2 Corinthians. And we're not speaking of 1 Corinthians, but an extant letter that we no longer have. And, and he says that that letter to the Corinthians produced grief. And he also says that he doesn't regret it, and he tells us why. Firstly, as we're speaking of the forms of grief, we notice a godly grief. Verse 9 says, For you felt a godly grief. Paul is saying, I know that it literally caused you pain, a sorrow that was produced by God's Spirit as He began a work in them. And that's a picture of what we see as God begins to regenerate and breathe new life into one of us. A godly grief. Then in verse 10, he mentions worldly grief. We see worldly grief in the text. Notice that there. MacArthur says that that means unsanctified remorse and has no redemptive capability. A counterfeit 
repentance is what it means when it speaks of worldly grief. Augustine said that repentance damns many and he was speaking of false repentance. Like a criminal who stands before a judge and a jury and he confesses his error, but he isn't truly repentant for what he did. He's repentant because he got caught. There's not been a true change in him. And maybe the judge would grant him leniency and he would be set free, but he would go right back to that same crime, that same lifestyle, because he has not truly repented. And many do the same thing when it comes to God. They know they've made bad choices. They want a way out. Maybe they, they've heard about the wrath of God. They've heard about eternal damnation in hell. And so they, in a moment, they repent because they're afraid of punishment. But no change has occurred in them. A worldly grief. Hughes writes that worldly grief is a grief for oneself. It's centered on self, not grief for sin against God. It grieves over consequences. It aches with embarrassment. It focuses on its own hurt. It is self-pitying. We also see in our text that good grief, the good grief that we need is godly grief. And Paul rejoices in this text that they've experienced this good grief. He says, I'm not sorry for it because the grief transforms. And that leads us to our second point this morning, the functions of grief. And firstly, we see that godly grief produces life. Godly grief produces life. Verse 10 says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. It produces repentance. Again, that analogy, I I keep going back to that, but Pastor Tim illustrated it so well, and I know it was someone else's illustration that he was borrowing, but wow, what a, a wonderful picture he showed us last week. And if you weren't here, be sure to go online and watch or listen to that sermon. But I keep thinking of that because in that moment, that that animal had a genuine sorrow, a grief, an embarrassment. And without that, there is no true repentance. It's a statement that says, I will obey God instead of my own passions and desires and sinful nature. It produces repentance and also leads to salvation. In the Reformation Study Bible, it says salvation here means not initial conversion, but growth and progress in the Christian life. Ordinary Christian growth will include times of profound sorrow for the sin in our lives. And it is an evidence that God has began a work in us, that there is a change of heart, a change of life, and that leads us to salvation, brothers and sisters. Paul says it's without regret. He he gives the idea of something being unfinished. There is no regret. There is no looking back. It is done. 
full and complete submission to Christ's lordship instead of our own nature, instead of our own desires. It produces life. We also see that worldly grief produces death. It causes guilt. It causes shame. It causes depression, anxiety. I was thinking this this week as I was studying that perhaps this is the very reason why suicide rates are as high as they are because of a worldly grief, not a true repentance and a turning from sin. It was this worldly grief that caused Judas to hang himself. But notice with me in verse 11, the outcome of good grief. The outcome of good grief. Verse 11 says this to us, For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, that, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in this matter. Now, Paul is speaking about a very specific instance that is taking place here in the Corinthian church. He has been wronged by another believer. There have been accusations. There's been words spoken that were sinful, that were wrong. And Paul is now saying, but you, you noticed, you realized that it was wrong. You realized these accusations were false. It caused a grief in you. It brought you to repentance. And now notice the change. He says, what earnestness. As the repentant sinner rejects indifference and becomes intentionally serious about the way that he lives, what eagerness to clear yourselves, he says. Previously, the Corinthians had been apathetic to their sinful ways and their sin against Paul, and now they were seeking to prove their loyalty to Paul and to the Word of God. He says, what indignation. It led them to anger over their sin and over the wrongdoing that had occurred. What fear. They were fearful of God's judgment and that they had sinned against a holy God. What longing, he writes. A longing to make things right with Paul, with the body of Christ, to set things in order. Repentance causes us to seek restitution. He says, what zeal to do things the right way from now on. And finally, what punishment? They wanted to see justice done. That's the outcome of good grief. That's the outcome of repentance. So as we draw to a close this morning, I want to ask you, have you experienced good grief in your life? Not the kind that Charlie Brown exclaims because he's messed up because he did something wrong on the baseball diamond, because he made a boneheaded decision. That's not, that's not what I mean. In 1 John chapter 1, it details for us what happens when we do experience this godly grief, this good grief. 1 John 1 and verse 9 says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But verse 10 gives us a stern warning. It says, if we say we have not sinned, we have made Him a liar and His Word is not in us. 
Have you confessed? Have you come to place your full confidence in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, the one who purchased our pardon, was the atonement for our sins, the one who offers His forgiveness to you today freely and will begin the work of regeneration in your life. The one who says that you must repent of your sin and turn away from it and trust in me as your King and as your Lord. That is how God justifies. That is how God saves sinners. He regenerates us. He leads us to repentance and to faith. Thomas Watson said that the two greatest graces essential to a saint in his life are faith and repentance. I love this. These are the two things by which he flies to heaven. Have you trusted Him? I cannot answer that question for you. You did not inherit it from your family or because you were raised in the church. You don't even have it just because you said a prayer one time years ago. I pray that you see the difference today. That godly grief leads to life and that worldly grief damns to hell. And I want to end with these words from the Apostle Paul in verse 13 of our text. He says, Therefore, we are comforted. What a comfort to know that your sins are forgiven, that your lives are changed, and that your future is sealed. And if you do not have assurance of that today, it is my prayer that God will draw you by the power of His Spirit and that you will realize that today is the day of salvation. I say this almost every week. We'll close in prayer in just a moment and then we'll have a, a closing song together. And this altar is always open for anyone who would desire to come and pray. But just as much as you can come to this altar and pray, you can pray there in your seat or you can come and speak to Pastor Tim and I after service today and we will help you as we see in the Scriptures other people explaining the way more clearly. And we'd be glad to do that if you've never trusted in Christ or you want to be sure today. Would you close with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Your servant John wrote in the Gospels that these things were written so that we might believe, so that we might have faith. There is no more beautiful thing that can take place in an individual's life than faith. Because that faith produces a godly grief, a godly sorrow. It leads us to repentance. And the Bible tells us that without that repentance, without that confession, without that faith, there is no remission of our sins. And so, Lord, I pray today that You will work in our hearts and lives, draw 
convict, call. But also give those of us who are followers of Christ a burden. Because time is short. And our commission is clear to go and to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples. Light a fire in us, Lord. And as we've already sung, shine, Jesus, shine. It is in the name of Christ we pray and ask all of these things. And God's people said, Amen and Amen. Pineview gathers for worship each Sunday, beginning at 9.30 a.m. for morning prayer. Sunday school classes for all ages begin at 9.45, followed by our worship gathering at 11 a.m. We also meet each Wednesday night for Bible study and prayer at 7 p.m. in our church fellowship hall. We are located at 3357 U.S. Highway 117 North in Goldsboro, North Carolina. We are a Southern Baptist congregation dedicated to expository preaching and biblical worship. We invite you to join us next Sunday.